If you all would, go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 2. We're picking up here in Ruth chapter 2. We did chapter 1 last week, and we're looking at this redemptive story, God's unfolding redemptive story through the book of Ruth. These were real events. This is a historical account of, of what took place in the life of Ruth and Naomi and, and everybody else that was involved. This was something that actually happened. And it, it shows us so much in this small book. This, this four-chapter book is, is absolutely profound, and you could study it for, for years um, with the way that it is teaching us is how we should live. It, it teaches us about God's redemptive plan. Uh, we see, I'll just spoiler alert, Ruth is, is considered a foreigner outside of God's people. Um, but we see by the end of it that she's redeemed. And that's, that's hope for us who are not Jews, right? For the Gentile people like us, that, that we too in Christ Jesus are redeemed. And, and that is something that we should um, just glorify God uh, for the rest of our days with, for all of eternity, that, that we who were on the outside consider unclean, unworthy, have been brought near by the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus. We see um, in our own life our, uh, how we turn to, to bitter people like Naomi when, when tragedy strikes, when indeed we should be like our sister Ruth, who clings to the Lord, who lives in obedience, who lives sacrificially to a God who was not once hers. This is a great book, and we pick up here in, in chapter 2. And I'm not going to read all of it right away, but I do want to open us up in, in prayer that, that we together would be praying that our hearts would be changed, our hearts would be open, our minds would be open, our ears would be open this morning to receive God's word and see how we as people should change. And maybe if you, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord, you've yet to repent of your sin and believe in the gospel that sets you free from sin and death and, and brings you and restores you and reconciles you to new life in Christ Jesus, then I pray that this would be a time where you reflect on, on your life and how you maybe find yourself in the despair of Ruth and Naomi, but you realize the beautiful gift of grace found in Christ alone and that you would receive that truth and turn your life to Christ this morning. But before we go any further, church, let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning that we could be together, that we could be in your presence, that we could worship you in spirit and in truth. God, and I pray that, that you would unite us together around your word just for the second week. And I don't know that I'll ever quit thanking you for this, but I'm just glad to be back to one service with our church family. God, I pray that you would continue just to bless us that you would be with us, that you would keep us. And God, that you would go before us as we look to go out on mission together to tell people of this glorious truth revealed in your word that tells us of this good news of a Savior who came to die for his people. Lord, And as we approach chapter 2 of Ruth, God, I pray that we would remember this historical account. God is real and is true, and God, that this would be eye-opening to us as your people, that, that we have a way that we ought to live in faithful obedience to you, our God, who has graciously bestowed all of your riches upon us. Lord, we love you and we praise you and ask that you would just move amongst us this morning by the power of your Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So our points this morning as we cruise through Ruth chapter 2 is that God's people are diligent recipients, and hopeful. God's people are diligent recipients and hopeful. 
It's always good when you, you just get like real practical here, right? Like, and, and as you move through this passage, you're going to see these things, right? This is uh, the beauty of expository preaching. Um, I couldn't come up with this, and I'm thankful that that's what we do because it's there. It makes it easy. God's Word tells us these things, and we see this to be true in Ruth chapter 2, that God's people are diligent, recipients, and hopeful. Point number one, God's people are diligent, now, I want to start off by saying um, I had a conversation with uh, uh, a, a dear friend of mine, one of our um, uh, attendees here at the church, and, and we were talking about chapter one, and you know, he had some questions, and they were honest questions. I love getting these questions, like, how do you get that out of the text, right? Because when you read Ruth, it's a historical account of, of things that were happening, and then we're going, and we're, we're tying in doctrine, and, and we're not doing that on our own. We're not like, oh, that looks like that could be God's um, unconditional love for his people, and this looks like this could be uh, the, the redemptive plan for the Gentile people, because she was a foreigner, and we're a foreigner. No, it, it's actually teaching these things through actual historical accounts, but it takes a little bit of time because we've got to look at other scriptures, right? Why, why do we know back in chapter 1 that it was disobedient to leave Jerusalem and go out to Moab, right? Why, why couldn't we just say that there was a famine? And it, it, it's honestly a good thing to want to leave and take care of your family. Well, we can say that it was a lack of trust in God because the place that they were to worship in the Old Testament was actually a physical place, right? They went to the temple and that the famine was brought upon them because of disobedience, and the way I compared that was like if I sent Maylee up to her room when she's a teenager because I don't hate her, but I want her to think about what she just did, and then I go up to check on her and find out that she had snuck out the window and wasn't really thinking about what she went through, right? And that's what they were doing. They were taking, a lot of times in the Old Testament, actions into their own hands. They were, they were taking it into their, their own hands. They were going to accomplish their plan instead of seeking out God's will. So as you move through this, if you have questions, don't be afraid to ask. It's really important. NewHilloH.com slash ask. You go there, send it in. You can be anonymous. You can put your name, whatever. We won't blast it out, but it helps us just to help you grow in the Lord. But point one, God's people are diligent. God's people are diligent. That means that, that we seek to get things done. We seek to make things happen. And one of our points last week was change requires Commitment. We found these two women, now widows, Naomi and, and um, Ruth, and then you have Orpah, who ends up leaving. But you see that these three women, the two particularly, have found themselves in a desperate, helpless, and what seemed like hopeless situation. And we moved into this idea that change requires commitment, that Ruth was committing herself to this change, that she was going to be diligent in getting something done. She was going to be faithful in serving her mother-in-law, Naomi. She wasn't just going to back out. She wasn't turning back and going to her, her old God. She wasn't going back and turning to her old life. And now here in chapter 2, both Naomi and Ruth are back in Bethlehem as widows, See, they desired this change, and the desire for this change came from their desperate situation. They trust in the sovereign God. Now what? Get out there. Go do something, right? We believe in the sovereign God, amen? We believe in the sovereignty of God, amen? Right? We believe that God's in control. We don't believe that, that this is just by chance. We don't believe that, that things just happen. Church, I would even say that, that I don't believe that, that um, I'm helping God 
make something happen, right? Like, as in, if I didn't do this, God would be looking for another way, like, I don't know what to do, right? I guess I'll come up with a new plan. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do, but God does indeed, church, use you to accomplish his will. So when we look to Ruth, we should look to the obedience that she was willing to be used. And not only, hey, if he wants to use me, it'll happen. She went out and made it happen according to his word and his purpose and did commit herself to change. She was diligent. Verse 1 of Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative her husband's, uh, of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of the grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And uh, she happened to come to part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So first off, Ruth is seeking the approval of one simple thing, Right? She goes to Naomi, and she says, hey, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of the grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. She just wants to go and gather food for themselves, right? There are these two widows. For Ruth, she's in a, a country that's new to her. She's not familiar with this area. She's not familiar with these people other than the people she'd been with for a while, her husband who is now dead and, and uh, Naomi who's been in her life. But she's not familiar with everything. She's not familiar with the land. So this is all new to her. And she says, let me go out and just get us some food. Now this may seem insignificant to us, but consider what has been talked about up until chapter 2. These two ladies have come back to Bethlehem, right? For, for Ruth, it's going to Bethlehem for the first time. Naomi's coming back. Now, there's a strong indication in chapter 1 of turning back, right? When it says, I'll go back, I'll return, 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 return. We talked about, like, that's talked about, uh, I think, 20 sometimes, I feel like, between verses 6 and uh, 22 of chapter 1. It's talked about multiple times. And that gives us this indication that there's this repentance, it's this turning back, and they're returning to Bethlehem. That they're changing the direction, not just of their physical walking or geographical location, like, ah, I don't want to go there anymore, so I'm just going to go this way because the sun sets this way, and it, the sun sets more beautiful this way than the sunrise that way, so we're going to go this way. This was a covenantal turning back or returning to the Lord. So this is significant. Isn't that enough? Just be in Jerusalem, right? If you, if you go back over to Bethlehem, if you go be among God's people, isn't that enough? Isn't it enough just to, to be in that area? Isn't it enough just to be in this church this morning? Can't they just trust in the sovereignty of God to provide and take care of them? Just go back to Bethlehem and grain's just going to end up at the front door, Right? Like, I've got that every plate set up with my family now, and we don't even go out to buy our dinners. It just shows up every Tuesday, and it's wonderful. Like, I open it up, and I'm like, I get to put it in the fridge, and then I've got a cooler box that we're going to just stuff trash in now. So now it's like another trash can. I'm getting my money's worth. I'm trying to be frugal, right? They didn't have that, but they wanted change, and they committed themselves to it. They needed to be diligent. Even today, church, can we simply go to church? Can we simply sing the songs and sing praises to the Lord? 
pray the prayers, and so on? Can we do all those things to restore our relationship with God? Or is our relationship with God restored through a heart change focused on the sacrifice of Christ? See, so often we associate our, our works, right, the things that we do with what will restore us or get us to heaven. And we completely miss the mark that, that we ought to have a heart change, repentance, turning back, returning to the Lord our God who created us in his image and for his glory. We can't simply do these things and check off the boxes and think that things are going to happen. See, it's for too long we've, we've let this, this mentality just infiltrate the church to where now the church and the, the, the members of the church who are giving the most faithfully, giving the most sacrificially of their time, money, resources, efforts, they're, they're involved in every class, they're going to every ministry, going and helping with every event. And then tragedy strikes and they become bitter. We get into a ball, we cave, and we don't know what to do and don't know where to go. But God's people are diligent people. We know that tragedy will strike. We know that death will come. We, we know that hardship is ahead. But we also know that the best is yet to come, and we press on. We get on our feet and we go. We take the gospel to those who are hurting, those who are weak, right? We rebu rebuke our brothers. We take rebuke from our brothers and sisters in Christ. All of that is active. All of that is diligent. All of that is going and going and doing as God's word has told us to do. And that's where Ruth finds herself. In this foreign land, completely unfamiliar to her, with her now bitter mother-in-law. Like, could you imagine, right? Like, like in-laws are bad enough, right? And now you've got, like, this, this way out, like, okay, my, my spouse is gone, and I can just, like, she says she's going back to Bethlehem, and just call it quits. Not only do you commit yourself faithfully, right, and it's beautiful, right? I'm not saying do this if this happens, right? Like, just de depart from them. That's your way out. But she goes to this foreign land, and then Naomi's just bitter, Right? She's, she's in this new land with a bitter mother-in-law. It's terrible. But this is an ongoing dilemma, right? With this diligence and, and doing the work, right? And, and going and living and doing as God has said, right? What, what, is, what is it? Is it faith that, that is, is what God wants? Does God want our hearts or does he want our works? Well, church, he wants both. James 2, verses 18 through 16 we, we look at Ruth, and, and the issue would be if we tie her work to her salvation. But indeed, her work was a result of her salvation. She was going and doing what God had told her to do, right? And that's something, where's he telling her that? Well, we'll get there in a little bit, but there's a Bible verse, right, from Leviticus. We're not going there yet. That says that the poor would follow behind, and they would glean from the harvest that was left behind, and those who had the harvest were to leave that back for the poor. She's acting in faith. She's being diligent. She's taking care of her mother-in-law. But what does James chapter 2 say? But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now I can say confidently that you are justified by faith, right? You might say not by faith alone. We could go into this all day and we could show you the scriptures, right? But one thing is important, church, that if you truly have faith, you will do what? Work. You will go out and do work as a result of your faith. Abraham had already believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, right? Abraham had already had faith in God. Like the, the, the um, dispute between what seems like a dispute between Paul and James is actually easily understood when you understand that Paul is talking about like Genesis 14 and James is talking about Genesis 17. That we are made right before God by the sacrifice of Christ and faith in that sacrifice. Amen, church? All right. But we are proving our faith Working it out, as Peter says, by, by going and doing as he said. Being diligent. It would be absolutely ridiculous if we said that we were people of God, but not people of God's work. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a part of the, the Meadows family, but I never do anything that the Meadows family does, right? You'd be like, oh, no, like, you don't really. My dad would be like, you don't fit in around here, son, All right. But my dad never said that because like, I, I try and do things like my, that's what families do. And if you've been redeemed by Christ, you've been brought into the family of God, now it's time to live like it. It's time to act like it. We must do that. As God's people, we must be diligent because God's people are diligent. Ruth didn't just, just hope that something would happen. She, she asked Naomi, which, by the way, Naomi probably should have been going out too and helping her and, and taking care of her situation and being committed to the change that she so desired. But Ruth steps up to the plate and goes and does it. Works accompany saving faith. So be diligent. To say you have faith but not to live by it is ridiculous. This may seem silly, right? Like if some of you all are maybe bothered by it, there could be one of two reasons. One, you're living by faith, Right? You're some of the most, our church absolutely has some of the most faithful people. It's so encouraging to me. It's convicting, right? And I'm like, man, I, I just, I need to live like that. That's great. That's a great example. Maybe some of us are sitting here this morning and we're like, this is irritating because I don't want to live like that. I want to live the way I want to live. But God's people are to be diligent. We're called to live by faith in Christ Jesus, but remembering um, as I was reminded by, by Andy, um, Andy Adams, a quick thing here, Andy Adams um, is supposed to be going home uh, this week. Uh, can I get an amen, church? Andy Adams is supposed to be going home. I went and saw him. If you all don't know Andy, uh, he uh, got COVID back in like August, and he was on a ventilator for a long time, and I think uh, Kathy just said it's going to be like 100 and some days total once he gets home, and I went and saw him this week, and he sits right up and just starts talking to me, and I'm like, 
like I had, you know, had my, my mask on there at the, uh, the rehab place, and I don't think he could see it, but I was just like, it's probably good, and I was just like, just shocked, right? He's just sitting up and talking to me more than my five-year-old, which is like nearly impossible, but he's just talking to me and talking to me and talking to me, and one of the things that he reminded me was that we were um, created for good works in Christ Jesus, which he prepared beforehand, right? That, that you were literally not only saved for good works, but created for good works, that, that God created in Christ Jesus beforehand, that, that he prepared it for you to do beforehand. So go and do those good works. And it's easy to remember when you remember that God's people are recipients. Point number two. We're not just diligent but we're recipients, recipients of what? God's grace, which church we did not earn, we did not deserve, and sometimes can't fathom. Why me? Like, why Ruth, this foreigner? Boaz has all these, these young women in his, his field, and, and they're um, gleaning right after the crops, and, and they're, they're in his field on his property, right? And he notices Boaz, or Ruth. Boaz notices Ruth. And this is where it begins to remind us that, that Boaz plays as a, a type of Christ, right? He gives us a picture of Christ who for them was to come, and for us we look back upon the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. And Ruth being us, the Gentile people, foreigners and unclean, unworthy, and we see that we are recipients just as Ruth of the grace of God which we were not seeking out. The first thing here, just remember, we did not apply to receive this, right? Like being a recipient, uh, we think about like scholarships. And I remember like my senior year, uh, they were like, so-and-so is the recipient of the, the Good Samaritan scholarship and they'll get $10,000 to go to Marshall University. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, they, they applied for it and 100 people were chosen. I'm like, what? I didn't know we could apply for these things and receive it, right? Like, in my senior years when I found out about scholarships, I was, like, way behind. And by senior year, I mean, like, senior graduation. Like, I was finding out about all these scholarships. A lot of them, you know, wouldn't have worked out for me uh, for several reasons. But some of them was just, like, apply. And if you're, you know, a child of, um, of a home that makes less than this, I'm like, me, right? If you're a child of uh, a home with a single parent, I'm like, me, right? Like, and I'm like, man. Only I would have known. This is not that kind of recipient. This isn't something where we're writing up letters like we do uh, to, any kids in here, S-A-N-T-A, right? And like writing that and sending it and like hoping we, we get what we want, right? Like we're not doing that with God. We are recipients of his grace. Grace is receiving something you did not earn, you did not deserve, right? That's God giving us something that we didn't earn, didn't deserve, that is what we, as people of God, are recipients of. First off, this is an act of grace. When you go through verses 8 through 16, which we will here in a minute, we see that this is a complete act of God from the very beginning. The reason she ever even ended up in his field, right? Look, look at this. It, it says there, it says, she happened uh, in verse 3. And she happened to come, apart, uh, come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech, like happened. Like that wasn't a part of God's plan, right? This is, this is God's grace already at work, redemption and motion. But then Leviticus 19 verses 9 and 10 shows us that this was also an act of grace by God, that it was written in his word that this should already be taking place, that the poor 
would be going and gleaning among the harvest, right? Leviticus. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap of your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. That's Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. God already had a plan to take care of the poor, right? God already had a plan to to care for them. And and these gleanings were pretty much useless anyways, but you know how like us us proud and prideful people are, like, it's my harvest, I'm just going to take up all of it, even the useless parts, and we like usually just dump it out of the way anyways. Some of you all are like, I don't harvest, so I'm not I'm not catching the drift. I don't either, right? But you can think about like how we're greedy, right? Like we'll throw away like an old phone instead of like looking for someone who may need it, could actually use it. But it's it's not the newest iPhone, so they wouldn't enjoy it. They don't care, right? Like someone who like is needy is gonna be like, really? You're gonna give me Apple iPhone first generation instead of the seventh generation? Like, look here, it's a phone, right? And for them, this was food, this was grain. And God's plan was to care for the poor by having the harvesters leave behind a portion of the leftovers for the poor. But even then, it wasn't DoorDash, right? It was by God's command that the leftovers were there for the poor, and they had to go out and reap. They had to go out and use their hands and be diligent and receive God's grace, right? Like There's this this sense where they're going and they're doing But even for Ruth, what's interesting is she gets the hand-me-hand-me-downs, right? Look here in verse 4. And behold, um, or actually we can, she gleaned in the field, verse 3, after the reapers. So she's like the back of the back, right? She's the foreigner. She's happened on this land. So she's, you've got the harvesters, then you've got uh, the reapers, right? You've got those who who are there, they're gleaning, they're the poor, and then you have Ruth. Ruth didn't know anybody, so this makes sense that she would be behind everybody, behind the other women who were there gleaning. This is like the hammy, hammy-downs. Like Ruth's getting the leftovers of the leftovers, right? It's that chili that you cooked on Monday, but you're eating it on Friday. That's uh, if you're one of the cousins and you received uh, clothing, right, hammy-downs from your cousins that were hand-me-downs from their brothers and sisters, right? You're not getting like the second portion. It's not like Carfax, second, second owner, it's like you're the 10th owner. Ruth is, is low in this moment, but a recipient of God's grace. And behold, in verse 4, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Like, look, look at that, the, between the master and, and the poor people on his property who were gleaning in the harvest. He comes up to them and he says, the Lord be with you. Not, right? Not like, hmm, look at that person in that situation. He is being faithful to God's word of leaving behind a portion, and he goes up to them and says to them, the Lord be with you, and they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to, the, to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. 
Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. I want to stop there real quick. Boaz, in the middle of blessing those who are reaping the harvest, he notices Ruth. He notices this young woman and knows, like, hey, I need to figure out who this is. This is a, a new person. This is someone who is, is not someone I recognize. I'm not familiar with them. So he takes notice. And then he says to her, now listen, my daughter. This is very intimate. This is very personal. He doesn't say, hey, foreigner, hey, hey, Moabite. Yo, woman, what are you doing on the field? He says, now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told of me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. There's so much just to, to break down here, right? To, to look at and, and how, how Ruth has found herself in, in a foreign land, acting in obedience. Now she's found herself on, on foreign ground, like a foreign field to her, so, right? She's, she's happened upon this field. She doesn't know the owner. It's not marked. They didn't have it marked. They didn't have, like, trespassing, like, uh, you know, private property, no trespassing, right? Where I'm from, you have those all over the place. And where I'm from, if you cross that, you may not be leaving, right? It's ser- like, you end up on somebody's property, it's serious. And now she finds herself on his property, gleaning, and he gives her the right to come onto the field. And not only that, but he says, keep close to my young women, right? That she would be protected, that she could be cared for, that she would be a part of the, the crew. And that she wouldn't get the seconds of the seconds, right? She wouldn't get all of the leftovers, but that she could get some extra. And he tells the, the young men that, that they were to give her a drink if she wanted a drink. He cares for her. He loves her. He serves her. And he notices the sacrifice that she's made. Now remember, this is a relative. Boaz is a relative of Naomi through her um, husband who is passed in chapter 1. So he knows of Naomi. And he hears all of this. And he sees the sacrifice. He sees what has taken place. He sees the obedience of Ruth. And then he becomes the servant. See, this sort of relationship is not the norm, especially for a foreigner, right? And most masters, they would have been good, but not to this point. 
That's why I made the point earlier. Look, when, in verse 4, when he goes up to those who are reaping, he says, the Lord, bless, uh, Lord be with you. And they answer back, the Lord bless you. Right? There's this mutual respect. Hey, I'm, I'll care for you if you go out and you glean. You can have whatever you want. But with Ruth, the master becomes the servant. He tells her all of these things. And then at mealtime, in verse 14, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed uh, to her a roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also... Pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So he, he serves her food. The master is serving the servant. He's giving her food. He's giving her an abundance to the point where she's satisfied and has left over. It's not the right amount of food. It's not just what your nutritionist or your doctor says, like, this is what you need to eat. The rest of it is excess. She eats until she's satisfied and has more. There's no meal prepping here. There's meal abundance, right? It's, it's, it's uh, glorious, that kind of meal. And he's serving it to her. And then it says that when she goes out to the harvest again, that he tells the men, and also pull out from the bundles for her and leave it so that she can glean and do not rebuke her. So she's not just getting the seconds of the seconds anymore. She's getting the cream of the crop. He says, take out from the bundles and give it to her. This is a beautiful picture of what Christ came to do for his people in Philippians 2, verses 4 through 8. That Christ, the Master, our God, our Lord, came to serve his people. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of what, church? A servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see what Christ did for his people. We see this act of grace. And church, when we look to the sacrifice of Christ, all we can do is be a recipient. We can't add to, we can't apply for, all we can do is receive. And what you are to do is act in faith. Repent and believe in that good news. Believe in what Jesus did on behalf of his people. And then go and be diligent, but first be a recipient. And that, that, that grace that you receive gives you hope. Point number three, recipient or God's people are hopeful. I want to read Romans 15, 13. Matt, I know I put that before the point, but I got you shaking your head. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. We just read this a week or two ago. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That we being filled with joy and peace, which church is only found in Christ Jesus and the gospel message that he came to deliver and to live out, 
Only then can we be hopeful. But the world is looking for hope and they're seeking it. And they're applying for it. They're diligent in many efforts. And the one effort is not in humbling themselves before the Lord, our God, repenting and believing, becoming a recipient of grace and a diligent doer of God's word. But it starts here. God's people are hopeful because we've been recipients of his grace. Look at, at Naomi, who was, who was angry, right? She was bitter. Tells us in verse 17, so Ruth, she, gleaned in the field until evening. Then she uh, beat out what she had gleaned, and it was taken in the ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So she gives her her leftovers, right? Like when my family brings me leftovers, like we've got leftover Chick-fil-A. You know what that means in our house? We got a 30-count nugget, two large fries. It means we've got three nuggets left and two fries. I don't even know why we put it back in the fridge, right? But she brings her back a good portion. She sees this, sees the leftovers. And her mother-in-law's response, Naomi's response, she said to her, where did you glean the day? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you have finished all my harvest. Or, he said um, to me, you shall keep close by the young men until they have finished all of my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young, this, these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Naomi goes away from bitter. And she says, this man is one of our redeemers. This is one of the people who can come and redeem us from our desperate situation and restore us to a hopeful one. God's people are hopeful because we've been recipients of grace. And we know that that grace means that now we view death as life. We, we see the end of our days may be coming, some of us closer than others as we approach whatever day that is. We've been through illness, we've, we've seen sickness, we've seen sorrow, and now when we look at death in Christ, we see life. Because we know that there's no clinch of death on us anymore. There's no grip that it can have on us in Christ Jesus. We know that we have a Redeemer, and His name's not Boaz. It's Jesus Christ. It's our Lord who came as God in the form of man, God incarnate, lived a perfect life, served as the perfect sacrifice for his people, shed his blood for his people, died on the cross, and rose again, giving us hope that we too in Christ Jesus will not be held down by the grip of death, but indeed have already been set free in our Lord. I want to end here with Psalm 39.7. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Church, and 
and everyone else. We are hopeful in the redemptive plan of God. We know that we live in this fallen world facing the fallen effects of this world. But we know we have a hope in Christ Jesus. We know that one day we will receive our glorified bodies. We know that one day he's coming again. So we are diligent. We are faithful to live out his word today, carrying forth his word so that lives would be changed for eternity, so that God would be glorified here and now. We're diligent because we're recipients of a grace that restores us to new life. We're diligent because we know that we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it. So now when we look out to even the worst of our enemies, we can say, I didn't deserve it either. But I'm going to carry this message forth. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to, I'm going to love as Christ loved me. I'm going to serve as Christ served me. Longing for the day in which we hope, church. That day is coming. I'm not going to try and give you this, this old Baptist, like, that day could be tomorrow, and if you died tonight, where are you going? But I'm telling you, that day is coming. It could be a thousand years down the road. Like, I'm not dispensation. I'm not, like, working in perfect time frames, and, like, oh, it's got to be 2,000 this, and 7,000 years is perfect number. It's coming. It is indeed coming. And I don't know. I know it will come like a thief in the night. So, church, we need to be diligent and go and share of the hope that we have in Christ, which we receive not of our doing, but as an act of God's gracious mercy. And to those of you who don't know him, repent and believe this morning. You don't need anything, uh, any person to come and, like, smack you on the head and, like, cast a demon out of you, right? Just pray right now and, and ask God to forgive you and believe in the gospel, right? Surrender to Christ. Church, let's stand and let's sing of the hope that we have in our Lord. I'm going to end with a Christmas song. And um, as they were uh, singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, right? They were, they were longing for the coming of the Messiah. Church, we look back at what the Messiah came to do. And even today we sing, Come, Lord Jesus, Come. We long for the day which we hope. Amen. Father God, thank you for this morning and thank you for uh, 10 a.m. service where we can preach a little bit longer. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, thank you for all that you've given to us. I pray that we'd be good stewards of the resources and, and just everything that we have, understanding that it's been given to us. Lord, I pray that as your people, we would be diligent to carry forth your word, to carry forth the gospel message. God, that we would be diligent in our own life and our personal walk with you, obeying you, doing as you've commanded, and teaching others to do the same. Lord, I pray that in this, this Christmas season, we would remember the true reason that Christ came, not just to come and to be our friend and to be our homeboy, but Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Lord. And we thank you so much for what he did on our behalf. We thank you for your grace. God, and we thank you for the hope that we have in you and you alone. And I pray that we live according to it, according to your word. May you receive the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, church, let's sing.